Hi there, and welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, CR's editor, and I'm here to introduce you to our latest episode, where I'll be talking to the photographer Catherine Highland, who is one of the recent winners in the Creative Review Photography Annual Awards. I caught up with Catherine in her East London studio, where we were also joined by her puppy Kiko, who occasionally might make her presence felt. In keeping with the recent theme of the CR podcast, Catherine and I discussed the ups and downs of her career and some of the adventures she's had along the way. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the best and worst moments of your career so far. But before we get into all that, maybe you could just talk a little bit about how it all began. Like, when did you first start getting interested in photography? I started out doing fine art at Chelsea College of Art. Well, I went to St Martin's and then Chelsea College of Art. And really early into doing my degree, I decided that photography was what interested me. Okay. And then I'd done an MA. So I'd studied for quite a long time. I always had it in mind that I, I was going to be making something for uh, galleries and exhibitions. In my mind, I was making a photograph to go on the wall somewhere. Okay. So it was going to be quite a tangible thing. And then uh, I'd ended up, naturally, you leave doing your, if you've studied for that long, then you leave with quite big debts. So I <laughs> realised that I had to find my feet quite quickly in London. Otherwise, I was going to be leaving London and going back to Nottingham. Okay. Um, so I... Uh, I started going into picture editing and that was completely by accident. So where um, was that? So I started interning at Wallpaper, then eventually started a role as the deputy photo editor at New Statesman. Um, but at the same time, I was picture researching at Fiden. So the week was split up and then shooting at the weekends. Okay. And that went on for almost two years but I was really exhausted in those two years. So you must have been doing quite, in terms of picture editing, you must have been working with quite a wide variety of imagery types and so on. Yeah, well, it was interesting at Wallpaper because I always think, it's funny now looking back, because I remember when I was so naive that I thought that every single room that they shot in Wallpaper was an actual room that existed in the world. Right. (laughs) I had no concept of sets being built until I'd interned there. Which is so naive, but it's really strange looking back on that now because obviously then that was quite a fast learning curve at Wallpaper. Um, And I ended up staying there for, I think it was about six months. It was longer than I should have because it was when uh, one of the deputy editors was leaving and they were finding a replacement. Um, And Kate Barrett, who ended up being the replacement, actually turned out is is a good friend of mine. Um, so when she got that role is when I had left to go to New Statesman and then suddenly you're doing the complete opposite because it's a left-wing political magazine and wallpaper obviously they invest so much in the photography New Statesman you know you're really fighting to try and get good pictures into that magazine because obviously it was second to the writing yes Um, and a time presumably when Budgets were being cut and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, a really different dynamic. Uh, and also a weekly, which is is so fast-paced to work on a weekly that you, you there's kind of energy you have to maintain to get the magazine out. Um, even when you're in charge of the pictures, just because you're trying to arrange shoots and, and a lot of the time having to do it with low budgets. And then balancing that, I was picture researching at Fiden, which is the complete opposite because I was researching the architecture atlas that they'd made which was like a huge book right um that they spent years on it was quite a 
I think it was a very good learning curve to get into the industry. And did any of that affect the work you were making? I mean, were you were, just to say about your work, I suppose, the way I, I would describe your work, it'd be interesting to see if you agree, is, um, is it, it feels to me like it's documentary, but it's sort of elevated, like there's a, it feels like it's real things that you're seeing, but there's an element of artistic enigma to it as well. That they, It's not what you would naturally see if you arrive somewhere, but it still feels real. Yeah, no, I think that is quite accurate. It's kind of a heightened reality, mm. but it is reality. Um, and that's obviously, I spend a lot of time just seeking out these places. Yeah. Uh, and my work is quite research heavy because of that. Um, and was it like that when you, from the get-go? Yeah, I think, well, I think I've always been curious and that's really like the anchor, I'd say, for all my projects is just a curiosity about complicated stories. And then the aesthetic part comes second because I'll research things that I find interesting, whether they turn into an art project or not. I do a lot of, I like reading a lot, so I end up... <laughs> <laughs> that was the dog. <laughs> <laughs> what is attention? Um, I like reading a lot. When I come across something that I find quite captivating, I can't help but want to learn a bit more about that. Generally, that means I then want to see it for myself and it just kind of snowballs from there. And I was always interested in um, paintings that were about the sublime and this idea that being small and vulnerable can also be very empowering. Um, And then just looking at the land, because I think it's very easy to... uh, I think it's very easy... Uh, to not really see what we're doing to the world and what we're doing environmentally to the land until you're stood in front of it. We've all got so much going on in our lives that I think it's very easy to be blind to the bigger picture. And that's always something that I've been quite good at taking myself away from and then trying to look at from a distance. Always more a bit more emotive. But I think that my work is usually consistently about quite quiet moments. Yes, no, I would agree that it's, it feels when I'm looking at your pictures that there's a, there's a peacefulness, peacefulness to it, but there's also a... The word enigma often feels right to me, that you're, you've sort of captured moments that feel real but strange, and, and you're showing something that I feel like I'll, I'll never quite see in real life. I mean, I can see the connection to, to having them as large artworks. I, I can see them working that way, but whether you do them, do present them like that or not, I could see how they could work brilliantly in that, yeah. in that setting. Yeah, I think that's something that is a shame nowadays, really, because so... It's hard for, to do it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, for some people it's fine to just be showing their work on the internet all the time. In fact, there's some things that look better to be viewed that way. But for my work, I mean, one of the things that it does always feel quite frustrating is a lot of the time it's about the relationship between humans and the landscape. It's about humanity and how we find a sense of place and how we find belonging. And sometimes people can't actually even see that there's people in my shots, yeah. <laughs> especially if it's on Instagram. And that obviously gets a bit frustrating. Cause you're like, yeah, because there's I've a scale the to them, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. But then, you know, it's so great to have that medium to be able to disperse your pictures out all over the world that you can't really complain about it. I'd rather have it than yeah. not have it. So. so going back to your picture racing days, at this point, were you making these kind of works and going on trips like this? Yes, I was all along, but in a really Del Boy haphazard way. (laughs) (laughs) I was, that was why I was doing those jobs, to save up enough money to fund this and stay in London. Um, Because I did have a little stint where I ended up going back to Nottingham and my mum and dad 
we've had a hotel that's been passed down the family from my grandma's generation. Okay. And my mum had let me be the night porter at the hotel for for about a year at one point. Right. And it was that I I it's still my favourite job to be the night porter because I'm definitely most efficient in the night time. And okay. It just meant that I could retouch all through the night. Okay, because not much is going on. No, just like a few drunk people or somebody that... There was a lot of weirdos (laughs) at one point. There was one point where Nottingham was marketed as the most amount of bars per square metre. So there was a lot of stag dues that stayed at that point. But I really... That's when I kind of realised that the time I'm most efficient is when it's just quiet in the night time. And if I need to make money by other means to fund it, that's fine. <laughs> like yeah. whatever, whatever gives me the capabilities to make work is fine. Yeah. Um, and then I would save up for a long period of time and then go away to a country that I found interesting. Um, I think I went to Japan and China a lot at that point. Mm. And uh, my brother traveled a lot, so he would come and help me sometimes. Okay, um, and none of this was on commission. You weren't being paid. As no, no. Okay, and some still some of those shots are ones on my website now. They fit in with my work. You can't tell which period. Like you can't tell that that's fourteen years ago. Okay, because I was uh, thinking yeah, my work actually hasn't changed that much. Yeah. it's kind of kind of evolved in the sense that I think that some the most recent work is probably the best work, but it's still fitting into the same genre really it's this I'm I'm trying to find meaning within the same things yeah it's always been about landscape it's always been about our connection to the land it's always been about like trying to uh how people use borders and how they find the sense of belonging and I think also yeah I think also say with the traces left behind it's also been about trying to find some kind of connection yeah so this is your most recent project where you you uh, met a group of, uh, is it migrants, you would say, or refugees from North Korea? Yeah. um, Who live in North London and are part of a theatre group, would would that be the correct, or dance group? Yeah, they're part of a dance troupe um, and choir. It's the Korean Senior Citizen Society that we've been working with recently. Uh, But I'd started out because I'd contacted a charity called NK Connect and was saying, if I want to work with this community what's the best way for me to approach them? What will do you think that they're likely to be interested or is it too intrusive? Um, And I met somebody called Michael Glenn Denning who really wisely said, they'll be happy to work with you. You just have to think about what you're giving them back as well. Which must be the case for most of the work you do to some extent. Yeah, I think so. But there is a point where in certain projects, you don't want everything to be transactional. Yeah. You want somebody to collaborate with you because they want to. But I think that when you're working with refugees, especially if it's something that maybe other people have approached them about as well, you don't want to be just another person taking from them. Yeah. Um, And so... I'd started going to K-pop competitions because Michael had suggested that and started going to churches just to kind of slowly speak to people, see who was interested in speaking to me, um, see if there was a story there. And then kind of just got totally immersed in it because it's such an amazing community of people that really do support each other. Yeah. And they're so strong when they're together. That it was very obvious really early on that they were going to be happy to work with me and they're also going to be really good at telling me exactly what they wanted me to do. Okay. So, um, so they, weren't, they weren't shy about the, 
the actual photographs? No, they were really lovely with me because I think at first they, uh, I think because I was doing it on my own throughout so much of the project, because um, I'd arranged to work with Jem Fletcher on the project, but uh, it just coincided that it was the exact same time that she was pregnant and then had her baby. Okay. Um, so she was more of a sounding board with me for the beginning of it. And I think when they saw me fumbling around with all these lights and trying to fit them into these tiny rooms, they kind of, uh, I think they started to feel quite sympathetic towards yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that, I, well, I know there was a point where they were like, we can see that you work really hard, so we want to help you. <laughs> so I think there was that kind of, there was a kind of mutual respect because of that. Yeah. Did they want to see what your work looked like, or was that not? No, I don't think they. I still don't think they've shown any interest whatsoever. Really? In anything, right? <laughs> no, I think they just liked. Uh, well, we got on and we were having fun together. I think they just liked that, and I think also when it's a group that's been a, been with each other a lot, yeah. it's quite nice to have an extra person to kind of be the audience. Yeah, you'd have been talked about an awful lot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they would have laughed at me a lot. I know that they were. There was a lot of moments that they would have found funny. Yeah. Um, just watching me, I spent like because because I shot a lot of it in the summertime in London as well. There was quite a few days that were really hot last summer. Right. Whilst I was carrying loads and loads of equipment, so I know that they would have thought I just looked a bit mad at that point. Yeah, in time. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it does sort of put you on more of an equal footing, maybe. With yeah. Being, uh... Kind of all vulnerable together. Yeah, exactly. So they haven't even seen the finished images, or they they've seen the finished images and they've seen the film now, and they're really happy. Yeah. Um, so really beautiful pictures. I mean, they're really. Again, it's got that enigmatic thing, but they, I mean, this is more stylized, I suppose, than some of say the ones I'm thinking of is your your Mongolian series, which was last last year or the year before, maybe that you shot. Yeah, the, I think the year before, yeah. Which are, are huge landscapes, whereas these are all more stylized, in, like shots inside. Yeah. So. Well, that was something that I thought a lot about because. Um, I really wanted to create a space that was a nod to North Korean architecture. I've been reading Oliver Wainwright's book and it's beautiful, but really yeah. great as I research material. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then also I'd spoken to an artist called Marlene Stewitz that it builds these uh, small sets that are inspired by scenes in daily life. And I wanted to create a psychological space that they essentially could be put into and then perform so that the power was back in their hands rather than it just feeling like it was reportage. And that goes in line with what we were talking about, about this slightly heightened reality. Um, so you, a bit, I'm a big fan of Matthew Barney and it's a bit like you're trying to create these more mythical spaces where time becomes a kind of weird concept and um, you isolating them, I guess, from daily life. And so it was really important. It was in a studio. Um, that then went hand in hand with me having to make sure that I had enough money to do that because obviously it's turned into a much bigger idea than yeah. just shooting the community. Yeah. And there, I think there was about 28 of them in the end. So it's a lot of people in a studio to try and manage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm glad that we'd kind of had all the blood, sweat and tears to get to that point because when I was there, I was, it's one of those things when you create these big shoot days, you've really hope it's going to work out in your mind yeah. but 
sometimes sometimes you just don't know until you're there on the day and when I was there on the day I knew that it was going to work as soon as I saw them in the set so I was like thank god because this could have been like my biggest failure (laughs) well on that does it ever not work out because I feel like so many of the best projects do have that real risk attached to them but have you ever experienced it really going terribly wrong um no I I don't think I I don't think I have actually but I have had it where it's been teetering right on the edge of a massive failure. I found that with uh, the sumo wrestlers in Mongolia that I did for We Transfer. Mm. I I knew that it was a good idea and I knew it was interesting and knew it hadn't really been covered before. Um, and I knew that there wasn't this much knowledge about how exceptional the Mongolians are at sumo wrestling, just as you know, a general person that doesn't know a huge amount about the sport. So I I really wanted to make that project. Um, but Mongolia is hard to do a project in when it involves other people. So you, you have to organise fixes. And on that job, I'd gone over there and we were going for quite a long period of time. So then it meant that the kit that I had was going to be very expensive. And when we arrived, the fixer lady had met us that we thought was the fixer, but actually the fixer had gone missing in Azerbaijan or somewhere. Right. <laughs> Which we'd only been told after one day. So we'd already wasted one day of rental equipment and I had a lot of it, so that's a lot of money. And then on the second day, still nothing happened. So I was like, okay, so we've wasted a huge amount of money now. Already. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to make this with it. Like, and do you roll, how do you deal with that? Like as a person, are you, are you, can you cope with that quite well or do you get very anxious? I used to get quite a bit of anxiety about things um, when I was a bit younger. So I'm quite good now knowing I just need to sit down and be calm yeah. and be quiet mainly, like just get myself away from whatever is the stressful situation. And with that, I was like, obviously this isn't, I can't sit around now for these people to solve this for me because it's not going to happen. I was like, I have to take control of this. So I'd gone to go and hire a, we just hired a really big Russian four by four. And luckily I'd been to Mongolia before. So I knew that I could do these things that, Possibly I shouldn't be allowed to be. um, And Jorge, who was with me, who was the DOP, um, just came with me. We got the 4x4. And then the woman that was with us was so furious that I would go out and get a 4x4 on my own. (laughs) That There's a moment in a restaurant where she just happened to be in the same restaurant and had said to me, but how will you know where to go? You can't drive on the roads here. And then it turned into being how old even are you? And it just got to this point where it was just like personally offending me. (laughs) And uh, You were breaking the rules. Yeah, it was, well, I mean, it's your worst nightmare for a fixer because you think that you've kind of got that person captive uh, when it goes wrong a bit because it's like they still have to pay me because nobody can solve this but me. Yeah. And there's just points where I'm kind of like, right now, it just, I, I, this is on my shoulders. Like I brought all this rental equipment over here. Yeah. Even if the fix has gone missing in Azerbaijan, like it's down to me and Jorge to solve it. Yeah, I feel like the superhero music. <laughs> well, no, it's just like it's, there's no other choice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the fix's friend then helped us in the, well, the fixer, whoever had arrived who wasn't the fixer, the wife, her yeah. friend then helped us because he could speak English. And I was like, we just need to go to this sports complex that's in Mongolia. Who need to speak to the head coach and ask him who are the best sumo wrestlers so that we can figure out a plan 
And okay. Then you every- hadn't met, you hadn't spoken. No. <laughs> <laughs> so then everything <laughs> comes. Things are planned to the yeah. degree, but no, Well, no, no, they kind of you. They plan as much. You plan as much as you can, and the fixes will tell you everything's planned. But in times like that, you're at their mercy. So yeah, I do. Uh, and that's when people start trying to extort money out of you as well, and that's when you have to stand quite firm. But this yeah. this isn't about money. Um, and that it's, you know, this is an art project and they have to want to be involved. It's not a, a kind of business deal. So, yeah, uh, yeah. luckily it all worked out. But I think I, just, I haven't had a trip like that before where it's not only been like, right, I have to solve this on my own. But it's also been somebody slightly sabotaging me because yeah, yeah. they're offended by it being solved. So that was an interesting one, really. Yes. So this is good for our challenging moment. <laughs> I mean, was it challenging to go from, we were talking before about the pitch raising and night portering and doing doing those sort of jobs to make ends meet. Was it challenging to make the leap to doing to being a photographer? I mean, was there a moment when you thought, right, I'm a, I'm a photographer, I'm an artist now? Um, no, I think that, that was, I definitely feel like that was decided by other people. Okay, that's um, interesting. But because I've always been somebody having to spin quite a lot of plates all at once, it's never you know if I'm assisting one day or I'm a night porter another day or I'm you know a picture editor one day it's never felt like it's about me as a person it's just about the big aim which is that you get to make projects that you love I think that when my career did start taking off it felt like a surprise in the sense that it was like has everything just worked out (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I think I had just ended up scrambling around for so long and being like thirty two, so I just thought oh, it'll always be this difficult. So, oh, so what were the moments where you began to? It was getting commissions, presumably, like the we transfer stuff. Yeah, it was just getting a few first big commissions, um, like that universal experience that I had done off the back of a commission for Pate Philippe magazine. That was like my first big commission. Yeah, that meant I could. Uh, go to China and Mongolia for two months um, on my own and I had a good friend come out with me at the beginning of that trip so it was a really nice cushion I guess for your first big commission yes because um, much as anything sometimes it's being given time and space to do something is such a luxury isn't it really? yeah definitely for me because I think that that's that's what I was thinking about the best moments and worst moments of your career they've always gone hand in hand for me at the exact same time it's always been periods of transition that have been really hard right when everything's in a state of flux it's always been it's a bit like we transfer that was a brilliant commission and I was so happy that they were willing to invest in the project and that's the exact time that you have fixes that (laughs) absolutely despise you um and yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, they it just, yeah, they, that's always the case with me, actually. Um, but the one thing I would say is that at times I'm the happiest that I would consider my, you know, the best moments in my career are always the times where it's, I, I've kind of, on my, on my own or I'm with a close friend, somewhere really interesting and we're just quietly working together. Yeah. Um, I think kind of affirmation from the industry, from specific individuals or awards, never, that doesn't, it doesn't really make me feel as much, I don't think, as, I don't think you're ever going to, I think the affirmation has to come from yourself. Yeah, I see that. And I suppose the moments you're talking about, are the, and you're, you're living the work you're making in your... 
Yeah. Yeah, I think just being creative, yeah, quietly getting on with doing something creative is definitely when I feel happiest. I feel more anxiety when it's industry-based things. Yeah. I think that's not uncommon, to be honest. Yeah. Do the awards, though, and things like that, because you've won quite a few awards now, and I mean, do they feel like a means to an end? Do they lead to more work, do you think? Um, I think they're good for people knowing who you are, because I think if you are somebody that works on their own a lot or is away a lot... It's quite easy to accidentally become a bit of a hermit. Yeah. And that's definitely a problem I've felt a bit in the past is if you do uh if you if you do just feel really contented just working, then you're not gonna be that person that's out there talking to everybody. Um so you have to be a little bit careful. And I think it's really good I think one of the things that I feel quite strongly about for awards um and grants and things is that I'm always really aware that it's not just been me that's been on this path. It's kind of affected everybody around me. Because I think there is a certain point where, as a freelancer, maybe this isn't a good thing to say, I'm not sure, but uh, things like when you have a long-term partner and they've followed a very structured career path, yeah. you do sometimes feel like you're holding them back a little bit from maybe get buying your first house. or Okay. Um, what, because you're financially more vulnerable yeah and that you know just things like when you first choose to go to art school I always got really good grades when I was at school there was like a few options that I could have chosen yeah and then you're choosing the slightly riskier one so there's this feeling that like I do need to make sure that I've made the right decision and I need for my parents to feel confident as well and comfortable yeah um because there's a lot of times that my parents have had to lend me money down the line that I think that the awards for that as well uh that's what I think about with these awards is that it's saying a bit of a thank you to the people that have helped me, the kind of people that have surrounded me, especially when times have been more difficult. Yes, um, I totally see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good for your mum. Yeah, it's really good. And it's, all, it's affirmation about everything, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was a bit about responsibility as a photographer for the people you are photographing. And also this idea of being a British person going somewhere like Mongolia and taking photographs of people and bringing them back and whether there's any sort of sense that that's a difficult thing now because it's less fashionable, I think now, fashionable is the right word, for people to send uh, uh, photographers to other countries to photograph. And there's a trend more for using local photographers and getting local stories and I just wonder what your thoughts were about all that as it's in the air at the moment. Yeah, I, I think it's really important as well. Um, it's difficult if you are a landscape or travel photographer because obviously you need to go to those destinations. Um, <clears throat> and especially with my work, because I'm interested in complicated stories and cultural manifestations, I think that the it's good to be really aware of it the bottom line is that it comes down to intention. So a lot of my work is self-initiated and then I find the funding. Um, and it usually is stories that I found that I feel are quite unique that haven't been told before. So the priority is that you are giving the voice of the narrator to your subject. It's not you trying to uh, tell the story for them because... Yeah. 
no one needs to get off from Nottingham coming and telling their story <laughs> for them if they're in Mongolia or me trying to say what I think the perspective of North Korean defectors is. I have no idea what they've experienced or what their emotions are about it so much as what they tell me. And even then, I could be misconstruing what they're saying, um, which is why I'm very sensitive about it as well. Um, how do you achieve that in a practical level? Do you actually collaborate with them in how the shots would look and making sure that they feel totally happy with what's being presented? Yeah, you just give them as much authority as they can have over it. So you almost become a tool to tell their story. Um, with, the, with the community in New Malden, uh, I was very much like, I'm... I'm going to have the studio, we'll agree on the set together, I'll tell you why I've picked these colours, and then you can do whatever you want to express yourself in that space. Okay, um, so the actual way they posed and so on completely came from them? That's all their choreography, it's them, okay. it's what they would do performing in the churches, it's just that it's become a slightly heightened reality because of the location that yeah. I've kind of, because of the space I've built around them. Um, which is why I was mentioning it being important for it to be this psychological space that's removed from daily life, uh, because that then creates that kind of quiet moment for contemplation that you don't have in, when you're, you know, immersed yeah. in the middle of a, whether it's a church ceremony or one of the K-pop competitions. Um, you kind of need to isolate the personalities. And... Um, the same, I think the same in Mongolia. It's like you can only do as much as you can in that time. Uh, so you you have to do a bit of a gamble in that you don't have a set plan because it's just going to be what they show you. And yeah. you've got to think on your feet. And I'm very lucky to that... Um, Jorge Diegas, who works as a DOP with me, will come on these trips with me because quite often we're trying to, I'm trying to direct the film while he's trying to DOP, so he's filming it. I'm also trying to make the photo series, so quite often there'll be Jorge stood up with me having to try and, it's always important for me with the films and the photo series that they do go side by side. Okay. So, the, I mean, we've definitely had points where Jorge's been filming and because I want to try and get the same shot, I'll be like crawling between his legs and we're just clambering <laughs> all over each other. Yeah. Um, because it's not something that I'm going to interrupt the sumo wrestlers and say, can you just do that again? Because that isn't what we're doing. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're the ones that are trying to work around them. Uh, and that's, that's the way that I think I'll always work. So it has to be a bit more impulsive, it's like definitely more capacity for things to go wrong yeah but you are getting something that's unique and very it's genuinely how they want to express themselves it's not me controlling any of it yes and because your work doesn't feel like straight documentary do you think that also changes this question as well that you're not kind of going there as an outsider trying to capture real life you're actually creating something that is more artistic yeah um I think, yeah, I think it's just the same thing about intention. I think that there was a really good article in Freeze that was written by Cleo Roberts that was talking about the DMZ and talking about uh, narratives around North Korea. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, we've got to be really careful that we're not projecting our Western narrative onto their lives and we're not creating divisive stereotypes. Um, like the with North Korea, there's this idea that it's this... Her, hermetic state uh, that you can't get access to 
and you look at the mass games and everything's choreographed and that everybody's conforming, but they're not because there are all these glitches in the systems. Yeah. So we have them in New Mould and that's exactly what the project is about. It's all the people that haven't just gone along with it. Yeah. Um, and so as long as you're not fetishising those people, you're not just creating another project that is making those stereotypes more concrete then I think the important thing is that the story is being told and if I'm the person that's showing interest in telling that story at the time then I'm the person that's going to go and do it yeah but if I was a picture editor on a magazine and I was commissioning a story I can completely agree with why you would send somebody from that country to do it um so yeah do you ever record conversations you have with them or or include texts with your work like is that a part of it I think it's something that will be with this one because I did spend about a year and a half interviewing people so I've got a lot of transcripts um mm. Sir Lee who's one of the art- artists that I've been working with um he actually went across the border from North Korea to China 10 times which is something that I didn't even know was possible right and I don't think most people no, realize um and then he'd got caught on the final time and he'd been put in a camp for a year um, and just this, had this really harrowing story um, of his reality at that point in time. And I think that's something that I would like to incorporate into the project somehow, but it's not something that I want to be at the forefront of the project because I do want it to be about their lives now, not looking back on the past. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of evolution with that project that's still to come, which is yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's just a total jigsaw puzzle, really, because I've got so much material now. It's just about how I'm putting it together and when's the right time to release certain chapters of it. So in terms of where we're, you're at now, because we've talked about some of the best and worst bits, does it feel now that you're in a, in a good place where you were talking about the freelancing stuff, does it feel like things are more settled, that you feel more able to, to feel more confident about where things are going because it's yeah. quite re- you said it was 32 it's quite recent really that that change has happened yeah it's just been it's been a really busy kind of two three years um from stopping assisting and I really loved assisting as well so that was quite a big shock when it suddenly happened um, yeah was it was it scary to go out on your own because assisting it must there must be a community thing to it too or... yeah I think it's I think it's scary when you've when you've assisted people for a while and they're close friends then it's a little bit heartbreaking when you first stop assisting. Really <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if everybody feels like that, but I really felt like that. I felt like it broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then uh, because the jobs were always quite far away, I, I'd, I had felt quite isolated at that period in time, but I also felt the most fulfilled I'd ever felt because I was making work I was proud of and I was seeing these amazing places Um you know, always to have the luxury to go to the other side of the world and have time alone shooting is a real privilege. So I always felt very aware of that. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it, took, it did take me a while to adjust to it. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind. Of, it's what. It's almost one of those things that you think I have to do it now because it's now or never. Yeah. <laughs> I like. I'm so comfortable that I could assist forever, but this is the time that's been chosen for me by other people. So just get on with it yeah sometimes that push from from something external is good yeah yeah even if it's a bit tough at the time yeah definitely (laughs) oh very good this feels like kind of a good moment to wrap things up really Um, okay 
Thank you very much for talking to me about it all. And you can read more about, I didn't say at the beginning, but Catherine uh, was one of our winners in the Creative Review Photography Annual this year with the North Korean work that we've been talking about. So you can read all about that on the Creative Review website on creativereview.co.uk. Thanks. Thanks for having me.